0: They triple teamed Parsons and he got a pressure. It's unbelievable. Triple teamed. Yeah, and he was and he was still uh, forcing Burrow to get rid of the ball early. Like it, 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 he's
1: insane. Unicorn. More on dominant Micah Parsons in the Cowboys' excellent defensive effort here. Coming up a little bit later in the show, but first and foremost, it's the Cowboys Wire podcast. Ryan O'Leary here, playing host, joined as always by Katie Drummond of USA Today's Cowboys Wire. Man, we both predicted a bloodbath, Katie, against the Bengals—not uh, the fun kind of bloodbath, right? Uh, I told my mom to take the Bengals in her survivor pool, uh, but we were wrong. We were wrong. We gotta, we gotta admit defeat here. The Cowboys' defense comes alive. The Bengals are just an absolute mess, just like they were in Week One. And all Cooper Rush does is win. You know? Do I have that covered pretty well, Katie?
0: Yeah. See, what had happened was, <laughs> uh, sorry, Mrs. O'Leary, yeah. I apologize for how I steered a lot of people wrong last week. Um, yeah, that is just pretty pretty amazing. I, I am very proud of the effort that the Cowboys put forward. I did not think they had that in them. Um, I did speak about the fact that, you know, the season's not over. Don't, don't you know, mail the season in. Yes. Uh, but I did not expect it to turn around this quickly. Uh, you know, kudos to the team. Kudos, obviously, to Cooper Rush first and foremost. Uh, kudos to Kellen Moore uh, for, you know, getting himself straightened out. Uh, kudos to the defense for continuing to prove that they are an elite unit. Even without the turnovers, they are shutting down uh, quality offenses over the first two weeks. Uh, yeah, so so pretty exciting to see the Cowboys bounce back the way that they did. Um, I did give a little bit of a warning that I thought a lot of the issue was that the Cowboys felt that they were capable of rolling into this season without Dak Prescott having any time to work with this young group of receivers uh, over the preseason like they did uh, the previous year. You know, the previous year, you had Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup, all of them ready to go in week one, and there wasn't necessarily a need for Prescott to work out the rhythm and the timing with those guys because he's worked with them for years. That was not the case, and that was clearly an issue in week one. Uh, for whatever reason, Cooper Rush didn't have those problems in week two as far as timing with these guys, even though – Uh, You know, he did not get he does not get a bunch of work uh, during the regular season. He got a lot of work in the preseason. So, uh, you know, maybe that's the reason that he fell into, you know, a rhythm early. Uh, Clearly, Kevin Moore called a game that was more suited to what Cooper Rush's capabilities were. Uh, And also, we can never ignore the fact that Cooper Rush threw three, maybe four interceptable passes that the Bengals just flat out dropped. Probably having a different conversation if they hold on to those passes. Yes. but there's a reason why they're on defense and not on offense. Uh, but all in all, you know, just a, just a tremendous game. Very happy for Cowboys Nation that they were able to walk out of there with a victory.
1: Yeah, I think you guys had a great point on Cowboys Wire too, uh, KD, when you talked about how Cooper Rush and no, a guy, a guy like Noah Brown, they've been second string for a while on this team. They've they've got a chemistry together, and I don't think it's any, you know, I don't think it's like a, uh, I I don't think it's any coincidence that Noah Brown was making right. plays out there early in the game and and early in the game was the key right I mean you talked about Kellen Moore I mean his ears must have been ringing everyone was talking about you know not being happy with the play calling there in week one uh, and this one was just he dumbed it down it was a lot simpler but it was like smart it was like he dumbed it down but it was also smart right <laughs> like the way he called the game I don't know mm-hmm. how that works yep. Yep. but like just the first drive, compare and contrast it to week one. The In week one, it was like a double or triple reverse thing to Tony Pollard, 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage. This week, it was just a little jet sweep that got positive yardage. Much better. Yep. I like the second one better than the first one, right? And they came out at least with Cooper Rush, KD, with a scripted plan for the start of the game. The offense had a better rhythm. CD Lamb was more involved. It all felt better. And you get a couple touchdowns to start the game. Now it's 14-3. to you got your defense, you got Micah Parsons, you got the crowd noise, all of that's that. And all of a sudden it's the first quarter and we're all expecting this bloodbath, right? We're all expecting the Cowboys to get hosed here by the Bengals. And it's like, they're going to freaking win. You just felt it right there when it was 14 to three. You're like, and Burrow's running for his life. It's like, oh no, 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 it's over. The, the Cowboys have this game. Uh, now I know it got tight at the end, but I thought the beginning of that game was the key. And the fourth and two, right? From inside your own 45, Katie, what a statement by the coaches to say, stay on yep. the field. 'Cause even when, when the incompletion into CD's feet on third down, C D was like walking off the field. It's like, let's go punt and the coach said, No, 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 get on the field. We're gonna we're gonna go for it. What do you think of that decision? Yep. And and just maybe yep. that start of the game for the offense and how big that was.
0: I love it. I've always said that Mike McCarthy's talent is in his psychological management of the team. I mean, he doesn't call plays. Uh, He lets, you know, Kellen Moore call all the plays. He doesn't get involved in the defense. He is the true definition of a walk-around coach where he is more worried about the mentality of the team, which is why I put so much on him when he said that his team seemed nervous in the playoff loss to San Francisco. Like, that's your job. The psychology of it is your job. But part of that psychology is having your team believe that you're going to be able to come through uh, in those kind of situations. And he's really done that since he took over the team in 2020. Even when Dak Prescott went down after five games, uh, and it was Andy Dalton out there, and the season was lost. He was still having his team go for it on these fourth down calls, and he was showing the guts, he was showing the confidence in them, and it was more important for him to instill that belief in his team that they are going to be believed in, uh, and, and that's important, you know, having your boss believe in you and tell you that he thinks you can do it as opposed to not showing confidence. And, you know, a lot of people will say, OK, well, if you go for it, are you saying that you don't have confidence in your defense, you know, to be able to make the stop? But I, I think it's more about empowering your team, whoever is on the field, to go out there and make a play. And he did that and they came through. Uh, we got our first glimpse of Noah Brown and the uh, Cooper Rush connection there. They came through on the fourth down. They came through on the third down. They came through on the touchdown later in the game. And we saw what everybody had been talking about throughout training camp, that Brown just came in as a much different receiver in 2022. Uh, So all in all, the confidence that they showed, uh, not just in the guys that have a a lesser reputation, but the team in general, I think went went a very long way in the Cowboys being able to to pull out this victory. And it came through at the end, too, because like you said, they gave up the lead. They were tied at 17-17. They had to make a defensive stand in order to keep the game tied, and then they had to go out there and win the game with a game-winning drive. That uh, Brett Maher kicked his second uh, 50-plus-yard field goal of the game, third of the season, three for three from 50-plus yards. Um, Just incredible there. But, yeah, the, the confidence in the team, even after how lethargic they looked on offense in week one, speaks a lot to the coaching staff and I think that's one of those things you know you, you, the, the coaching staff gets a lot of blame they don't necessarily get the credit for things like that and I think they should
1: I thought it was a big moment going for that and then Cooper Rush just see, he's a cool cookie man <laughs> you forget you the game starts and you're like that Cooper Rush is okay in there you know it's, it's nothing spectacular but he's fine and, <laughs> I mean that was a bullet to uh to Brown for the first down and they scored the touchdown, and the Cowboys, KD, they'd been the only team in the NFL without a touchdown. So they finally, they finally got that thing off their off their back. Uh, and it was just good stuff to start the game. What a, what a first drive going ahead was so big. And and no, what do you think about the middle of the game for the offense? While we're on this topic, I do want to get to the defense. I do want to get to that stop there with a minute left on third and three. Trayvon Diggs, we got to get to that. It was a huge moment as well. We'll get to that later. But what do you think about the middle of the game? Right? Did you think they got too conservative? Uh, you know, at halftime to the last drive, there wasn't a lot going on in offense, right? And we had the Schultz fumble in the third quarter, yeah. which was just from one of your best players, that was annoying. It was a soft fumble, right? It just yeah. was annoying that Schultz dropped that football. Uh, so you leaned on the defense so heavily and you just knew when it was eight points for so long, you're like, they're going to score a touchdown, a two-point conversion. I just, you just knew that was going to happen. You knew it was going to be tied, yeah. right? We yeah. all knew it. So what do you think about the middle of the game? Was that, did they get too conservative? Were they trying to hold on too much, played Defensive too much and let the defense do it. What was your take on that?
0: Yeah, I, I don't mind them going conservative because again, we saw Cooper Rush airmail three passes directly to Bengals defenders. Like yeah. it wasn't yes. like you know he was setting the world on fire and just completing these passes through you know needle eyes and, uh, and and making us forget who Dak Prescott was. No, Cooper Rush is who Cooper Rush was, and that you know we appreciate what he's done. Uh, he is getting ready to attempt to be the, the, only the third Cowboys quarterback. They, the Cowboys have had 20 quarterbacks that have started at least three games. Only two of them in the past have won their first three uh, game starts. So Cooper Rush is trying to become the third with Roger Staubach and uh, Steve Piller. Uh, or sorry, Steve Burleigh. Steve Fuller didn't do what Steve Burleigh did. So you know, they he he's really trying to do something unprecedented. But he's not a great quarterback. Let's make no mistake about that. Of course, you need to go conservative when you have a guy like him, and and when you have a lead, because you can't open up the entire playbook because he's not capable of doing all of the things that are necessary. His Brain doesn't process things at the same speed that Dak Prescott does. He doesn't have that ability. Plays are slower developing when it's Cooper Rush. So that eliminates a lot of the things that you would like to do out of your playbook. So, yes, of course, conservative. No problem there. Uh, But when it came down to it, they had a script. They had a series of plays that they knew. You know, there's the beginning of the game script, and then there's a game on the line script. And they executed both of those to a great degree. Uh, in, in how they attacked the this, this Cincinnati Bengals team. And, you know, we spoke about it on uh, my Catch the Fade podcast. A lot of people just automatically anointed the Bengals as a Super Bowl contender because they made the Super Bowl last year. But Joe Burrow is a young quarterback. This is a young team. There's no guarantee that from year to year they're going to be consistent just because they did something last year. So maybe, you know, as far as our predictions went and – Uh, You know, even on this podcast, maybe we just were overestimating the Bengals. They have a lot of flaws. That offensive line is not good, uh, and their skill position guys can be hit or miss, as we saw. Not everybody came through. Uh, But when you have a defense as energetic, as athletic, as smart, as the Dallas Cowboys do, led by the best defensive player in the league, Michael Parsons, he's unbelievable. you can shut down a team like that. And that's what we saw. It, it, it's amazing that we're talking about Parsons in that, re, in that respect, uh, you know, 18 games into his career. But, I mean, who, who's going to challenge him? You have Aaron Donald, you have T.J. Watt, and Michael Parsons. That's it. That's the, com- that's the conversation for best defenders in the game right now. Uh, Watt is injured. Donald hasn't performed the way that he's you know, normally has, I'm not saying he's bad, but he's not the Aaron Donald that we are used to seeing. It's Michael Parsons standing on a pedestal right now. And when you have a guy that can impact the game in that many ways, not just with his sacks, his pressures lead to sacks for other people. He gets false starts and holding calls on offensive linemen. Like he's literally making seven to 10 impact plays a game. And it's just, it's it's unbelievable to watch. So yeah, uh, when you have a defense that is this good, uh, you can play conservative on offense like the Cowboys did against the Bengals and still come out victorious.
1: Oh, Micah Parsons, I think he affects every single play, right? And, and yeah, you got the 10 or 12 or whatever memorable ones, Katie, but every single play he's doing something that's helping a teammate. He is ridiculous. If Walker could stay on the field, there'd be a conversation. Right now, there's not a conversation. Uh, and I think right. one of the reasons Joe Burrow – has been running for his life for eight quarters to start this season is because week one he had T.J. Watt and week two he had Micah Parsons. So Joe Burrow's yep. like, give me someone else, Dude, <laughs> give me someone else, man. They they triple
0: teamed Parsons and he got a pressure. It's unbelievable. Triple teamed,
1: yeah, and he was and he was still
0: uh, forcing Burrow to get rid of the ball early. Like it, 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 he's insane.
1: Unicorn, unicorn. But you know, you, yeah, you know, Cooper yep. Rush though. I got to go back to Cooper Rush, man. How dare you? 2-0, two and 2 game winning drives on his resume. KD, come on. Put some respect on that man's name. He is Staubach, Cooper Rush. I'm just playing with you, yeah. but good stuff, man. He's he's winning. He's getting it done, Cooper Rush. All right, a couple moves we want to get to from the Cowboys. I want to get into Trayvon Diggs versus Jamar Chase and that excellent play Diggs made late in the game. Just a huge play. Could be one that we look back on later in the season if the Cowboys are making a playoff run. KD. we'll get all get to all that. But first, your fantasy leagues. How you doing out there? TheHuddle.com. They're going to tell us who to start in Week Three, and then we'll be right back.
2: This is the typical Sportsbook Fantasy Minute. Let's
3: make this interesting. Corey Benini with TheHuddle.com here to bring you strong plays for week number three. Quarterback Jared Goff, Detroit Lions at Minnesota Vikings. While it has been a small sample size, Goff has shown enough in the first couple of weeks to give gamers a little bit of hope that he could be a streaming option in week three. He has six touchdown passes versus just one interception, and is coming off a QB6 finish a week ago. And there's a pretty good shot at a multi-touchdown effort from Goff, and don't be shocked if he approaches 300 yards. Indianapolis Colts running back Naheem Hines versus the Kansas City Chiefs. If the Chiefs can hang points early and force Indy to abandon the running game, this could be a big week for Hines through the air. Despite what we've seen through two games, we're inclined to give Indy a little more credit, especially if star linebacker Shaquille Leonard can get back into the mix. There's even more upside for Hines if wide receiver Michael Pittman Jr. isn't available once more. Either way, Kansas City has given up the most receptions and the third-highest yardage outputs to running backs through the air this season. Hines is a reasonable PPR play out of the flex spot. Wide receiver Jacoby Myers, Patriots vs. Ravens. The favorite target of quarterback Mac Jones has a fine match matchup ahead, and that's not an overreaction to what Miami did to Baltimore in Week 2. Baltimore gave up four different wide receiver performances of at least 8.7 PPR points to the Jets in week one, including a six-catch 77-yard showing by Corey Davis, which should be in line with Myers' floor in this one, especially if the Ravens can jump out to a substantial lead. Los Angeles Rams tight end Tyler Higbee at Arizona Cardinals. While his career has been defined by inconsistency, we've seen enough through two games to suggest that he'll continue to be involved in the offense, at least to a large enough degree to warrant fantasy consideration. His 20 targets lead all tight ends, and his 26.3% target share is number two at the position. Only two tight ends have more than his 12 receptions. Meanwhile, Arizona has allowed the most fantasy points to tight ends by a wide margin, despite being one of the strongest units in 2021. Ride the hot hand and take advantage of the matchup while you can. For more award-winning fantasy football tips, news, and advice, please be sure to check out The Huddle.
2: in Colorado.
1: All right, a couple roster moves to uh, discuss, Katie. Let's, let's get your take on this. Some stuff that uh, you guys are writing about on Cowboys Wire as we speak. Uh, the Cowboys have moved on from training camp stud Dennis Houston, wide receiver, and Michael Gallup is starting to up his reps in practice right now, a full go feels like he's closer to a return. We talked last week how the Cowboys, before he even had surgery, were telling us he'd be ready for week one. Well, that wasn't the case, but it sounds like sooner rather than later, we'll see Michael Gallup back on the field, which will be huge for this team.
0: Yeah, I think it'll be a huge emotional boost. I'm still reserving judgment to see how well he moves around in game action. Uh, We saw Chris Godwin of Tampa Bay, who was injured, I believe, three weeks towards ACL, the same way Gallup did, uh, non-contact injury three weeks before Gallup went out in January. Uh, he returned for week one and then pulled his hamstring, hasn't been seen since, won't play this week. Uh, so that's a big fear that the compensation uh, being, you know, cautious causes you to have an injury someplace else. But then there's another level of the fear, which is what we're watching with Jabril Cox. Jabril Cox tore his ACL, I believe, in October or November. Uh, they did not put him on PUP. They talked glowingly about him. He played throughout the preseason. He had, I, I think, a, big, a bit of a tweak uh, during the preseason. But he's been inactive the first two weeks. And then you hear Stephen Jones, the executive VP, uh, de facto general manager, him and Will McClay, um, talk about the fact that, you know, hey, it's just a miracle that we didn't have to put him on PUP. Uh, we weren't expecting much of that. And they're really downplaying the fact that they, you know, they tried to pass it off as a Jabril Cox was going to be ready to play the season. So my question is, why are they touting Michael Gallup's return as a shoe-in We're getting, you know, some level of elite Michael Gallup receiver back when you have another example of a guy who, A, is younger, less wearing a tear on his body, Cox versus Gallup, who's been in the league since, 20, uh, since 2018. Um, and he's unable to come back and even be active for the games. I think that Cowboys fans are following the hope model, which is very uh pervasive when it comes to the cowboys it's led by the owner they'll always tell you that they err on the side of hope they believe in the idea of positive reinforcement if you speak it into existence it'll happen and <laughs> if it doesn't oh well you tried. Well, how's that I work for think us <laughs> they are over yeah i mean it, well i mean hey it worked for jerry jones his, his company is now worth you know eight to ten billion dollars so that's, you know it, it's true. worked out very well for him There's a reason why he believes that uh but uh, you know on a on a micro level uh, of individual players, it doesn't always work out that way. And we've, and we've often seen the Cowboys err on the side of, uh, you know, uh, of not enough caution when it comes to injuries and predicting guys will be back. So uh, all that is to say I'm very excited to hear that Michael Gallup is a full go. Do I expect to see 2019 1,000-yard receiver Michael Gallup when he comes back? No, I, that's probably next year. Uh, will he help? to play with C D Lamb and uh, and now Noah the ascending Noah Brown. Uh, I think he will definitely help in that regard. And yes, yeah, so they let Dennis Houston go. Um Dennis Houston is a great UDFA story. They're trying to get him back on the practice squad if he's not claimed by waivers. By the time people hear this podcast, that decision will have been made. Uh, But right now, as we're recording on Wednesday afternoon, uh, we have not heard whether or not he was awarded to another team or not, or whether he's going to be able to return to the practice squad. But yeah, that move to release him seems to be indicative of the idea that Gallup is going to play on Monday night against the Giants.
1: Yeah, that ascending Noah Brown, Katie, is taking up a spot on my dynasty fantasy roster, so I'm just I'm just starting to think: should I put Noah Brown in there? Right. He keeps on producing on my bench. It's like getting annoying. I, mean, I have to, I have, to I have to sit I somebody good for him, but it's like, should I put him in?
0: I, I would play Brown above Gallup for sure. Yeah, and I would probably if you're if you're running three wides and a flex. Yep. I don't see a problem with putting Brown in there. I mean he he's gonna be he's gonna have some Cooper Rush magic. Uh, I think the Giants' defense is a little bit better than they have been in recent years. Um, I mean, their offense is still trash. Right? It's still Daniel Jones under center. But yep. I, I, I think that they're, they're improving a little bit when it comes to defense. So I don't know, uh, you know, whether or not it's going to be an offensive explosion from Cooper Rush. But, you know, he plays well at night. You know, he played well against Minnesota in that game. So yes, we're, we're hopeful to see that, uh, you know, that, that he's going to come through again.
1: I think that was another one I was wrong about. I think I bet on the Vikings that day on my on my phone. Got the app out. Bet bet on the Vikings. Oh Cooper God. Rush burning me. I'm I'm all I'm all in on Cooper Rush. If you can't tell, <laughs> um, I want to talk about the defense a little bit more. Trayvon Diggs versus Jabar Chase, Katie. How how much did you enjoy that confrontation on Sunday? Uh, rewatching the game and just watching those two go head to head, it was fun. I thought Diggs was one of the stars of the game. Now I know the pass rush was probably the star of the game because I think it all started with that. That helped the coverage, no doubt about it. But Chase only being limited to 10.8 yards per reception is really good. I think the only way the Bengals are going to win that game and get back in it is if Burrow could weasel his way into a long touchdown pass, right? And he kept trying to do it. He's scrambling around. He's looking. Uh, but the Bengals didn't complete a pass beyond 20 yards. That was a big story for Dallas, not letting the Bengals get one big play. Uh, what do you think about Diggs versus Chase?
0: Yeah, I, I, I hope that we're not sponsored by uh by pro football focus because I'm about to dig in. That <laughs> Give, it to, Give
1: it to him. Give it to him. The
0: idea, them. the idea that the Cowboys played the game they did and did not have a single member of their secondary grade above a 70 out of 100 in coverage is idiotic. Diggs had a great um, game. What's going know, on with that? He, he, he had a great game. He 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 wasn't matched up with Chase all the time. Chase talked a little bit of trash. It wasn't a lot of trash. He said that he's not technically sound, great athlete, very quick, but he said basically that, you know, tech, technique-wise, I should be able to beat him. But they didn't put Jamar Chase on Travon Diggs to let him prove his worth. Travon Diggs does not travel. He stays on one side of the field. If you want that matchup, you know where to find him. But they did not go to find him. He, they ended up saying two catches, 14 yards uh, by Chase when he was covered by Diggs. Diggs uh, gave up a couple catches to Higgins, including a offensive pass interference that went without being called on the Bengals lone touchdown drive. Uh, but just the same way that we were talking about Kellen Moore's ears were burning off of week one, Diggs's ears were burning, too, because he was being blamed for not being physically enough to tackle Leonard Fournette, which is insane because there's an entire three level uh two levels of defense before you get to Diggs on a running play that they weren't able to tackle Leonard Fournette before it was, you know, Trevon Diggs fault for Leonard Fournette getting, you know, over 100 yards in week 1. If Fournette's a beast. But he's huge, root, man. He, he's he's huge. And no, if I'm a quarterback, I don't want to tackle Leonard Fournette. I weigh A lot. I'm not going to say what that number is, but (laughs) I weigh a lot, and I don't want to tackle Leonard Fournette. So much less a guy that's a cornerback, you know, who's used to tackling receivers. So Diggs came through when it came down to it. He had the last two tackles of the game. Uh, The the second down tackle to me was uh, not as impressive, but impressive in that he made an open field tackle where if he had let the guy go, the guy is probably going to get a first down on the second down reception. And then on the third down reception where he made the tackle for the loss, uh, that was just incredible. It was, it was, I mean, lights out. The microphones were out. There was no communication from the sideline. Uh, you know, the, 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 uh, Malik Hooker made the defensive call. Travon Diggs went out there, put the work in, stuck the guy, planted them into the ground. And you saw the enthusiasm that he had for making that hit. Uh, I really do, like you said, I think that if the Cowboys do anything this year, that play is going to be something that we look back on uh, as something that really, you know, certified himself in his own mind. You know, much who cares about what the media says? He he, even just, he deleted all the social media. He doesn't care what they're saying in the streets. But for his own self-confidence, making that play after he had to have hear, heard the questions about his physicality and to do that, I think is going to go a long
1: way towards the rest of the season. Without a doubt, that that scene of Diggs reacting after the play with the crowd going nuts. I mean, because when you think about the Bengals, Katie, Burrow is like a master of it looking ugly for 98% of the game, but then on the last drive, he makes something happen and he either wins it or ties it, sends it to overtime, whatever the situation is, right? Burrow does that all the time. If the Bengals get a first down there, look out. It was a huge play. Huge play by Diggs. Great tackle. Yep. The reaction. Yep. I get. Yeah, I agree with 100%. We could look back in December and say, Remember that tackle by Diggs when the Cowboys you know were were tied they'd given up a few points they they could have fallen to 0 and 2 there without Dak Prescott that's a huge moment that's a huge moment uh so yeah so Diggs how many how many points on PFF do you get for that play that I mean that was a hell of a play and again he yeah. tackled Chase too when Chase made catches he tackled him uh when he was on you are right it wasn't like he was on Chase the entire time following him around they moved Chase around but um, I saw him tackle Chase a few times there in the fourth quarter too it was, it, he was fine and but the pass rush, man, six sacks, negative thirty-four yards, eight tackles for loss, nine quarterback hits. They were all over Burrow, man. They were all over it. Uh, it was, uh, it was pretty yeah. crazy to see.
0: Yeah, they made they made his life a, a living hell. Yes, Lyle um, Collins, poor Lyle Collins. He if he uh, if he wasn't injured before the game, he's injured now because he doesn't know which way to turn. Still, he's, he's like, still trying to figure out which way to turn for Michael Parsons, man. It's it's it was an incredible job. And like I said. Parsons led to other people getting work. The latent Vander sack was because of Parsons. Um, one of the Dante Fowler strip sacks was because of Parsons and the pressure uh, he caused a couple false starts. I- I'm not sure if they had any phoning calls on him. I think there might have been one. Uh, but, yeah, again, he just affects everybody around him. And then Doris Armstrong got two sacks. Um, Fowler got his sack. Vander got his sack. It's just an all-around effort. And to a man, the Bengals said after the game, that is probably the best pass rush that we're going to see the entire season, um, and they're just getting started. Like they, they had they, they were not prepared for Michael Parsons to be a dedicated edge rusher because of the way that they played him in against uh, Tampa Bay, where he really did have the dual the duality role of being an off ball linebacker and then occasionally being an edge rusher. This one he was dedicated, and that versatility that they had the option to do because Anthony Barr stepped up in this game and was able to take on that second linebacker role and allow Parson to be on the line of scrimmage pretty much on every play. I think it was 55 out of 59 snaps he was uh, playing an edge rusher. Uh, that 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 flexibility that the defense now has, uh, it's, 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 it's going to go a long way. I can't wait to see what this team looks like when they start getting the turnovers again because they've done this. They've held Joe Burrow and Tom Brady to two touchdowns 36 total points, only forcing one turnover. So what happens when they start to actually get the turnovers that we're used to seeing?
1: Yeah, and those will come. Those will definitely come. Uh, yeah, just picturing Joe Burrow laying on the trainer's table being like, thank thank God we're done with that team. Oh, God. No, I can't do yeah. this anymore. I can't get sacked anymore. Like, that can't get hit like this. So so good. <laughs> so, good. so good. So, KD, he, he might have been wrong when he predicted a bloodbath. He, he predicted... The Bengals were going to crush the Cowboys. So did I. But you did say the season's not over, KD. You also said that. So you did. You covered yourself well. This, you were right last week when <laughs> you said the season's not over. Uh, not when you have a chance to play the Giants and improve to two and one. That's the situation for the Cowboys. So coming up next, we're going to get into that game and the spread. But first, our friends over at the Bet Slippin' Podcast have their play of the week.
2: This is the typical sports book minute. Let's make this interesting.
3: Hello, hello. This is Nathan Beadley here with the Bet Slippin' Podcast. I'm here to break down the Packers' Bucks as our game of the week. We are using odds provided by Typico Sportsbook. New users from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Terms and conditions apply, 21+. See site for details. Get your bonus today at usabet.com slash podcast. All right, on to the game. The Bucks have won two straight low scoring grinded out type games and their defense is the real deal they're led by an elite secondary and a front line that is the most sacks per game in the nfl mike evans out will open up a favorably price point for tom brady leonard fournette and a nasty defense the bucks were eight and two against the spread as home favorites last season and should keep that success rolling this year take bucks minus two and a half against the packers this sunday
2: That was your Typico Sportsbook Minute. For a limited time, new users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions, 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado.
1: All right, the typical sports book lists the Giants as two and a half point betting favorites to beat Cooper Rush of the Cowboys at home and improve to three and zero. Big Blue improving to three and zero on Monday Night Football at home. Wait a minute, the Giants are two and a half point favorites. I'm picking the Cowboys, KD. I want the Cowboys. I want that. I want those points. I think this is one of my favorite lines on the board. Give me your impressions on the new look Giants. Right, they've got some swagger with Brian Dayball, but they still have Daniel Jones at quarterback. They still can't score any points they've all but given up some some crazy stuff going on in their wide receiver room, right? They've given up on Kadarius Toney and Kenny Galladay, basically. All, all the love in the yeah. world for their replacements, but David Sills and Richie James ain't scaring me at the wide receiver position. I don't know who the Giants have at tight end. They don't have one. And um, not a ton going on offensively outside of Saquon Barkley, who was awesome in week one, but came back down to earth in week two. I think the Cowboys have better players on both sides of the ball. If you're going to give me points with the Cowboys against this kind of mediocre Giants team that I know is 2-0. And don't get mad at me, Giants fans. I know you're 2-0. But I like the Cowboys at this number. I'm taking the points. What's your, what's your impression of the Giants, though? and What do you think of that spread?
0: Yeah, I, I think that if you go across the board position by position, um, maybe you give the Giants an edge with Saquon Barkley over Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. But the combination of the two, I'd probably still lead in the Cowboys. Um, quarterback, you would say, watch. Uh, wide receiver, you'll take CeeDee Lamb over anybody that the Giants have, but, you know, we're not sure what the rest of the depth chart looks like. Um, but outside of those positions, there's no way that you're picking the Giants in any other head-to-head matchup of unit versus unit. Nope. And for that reason, I would put two units on this game for the Cowboys to cover that two-and-a-half points. If you're giving two-and-a-half points, I would definitely take the Cowboys. I think they're going to win outright. Um, Daniel Jones has yet to pass for over 200 yards in two games so far this season. Uh, In each game, he's he's passed for combined over 200 yards, but in individual games, he's yet to cross the uh, 200-yard threshold. Uh, He is the most pressured quarterback in the NFL, and that's before facing a team like the Cowboys with what we saw them do against the Cincinnati Bengals. So you've seen what Joe Burrow faced against Pittsburgh and against uh, Dallas. New York has not faced anybody of that caliber in their first two games and Daniel Jones ha- is pressured on almost 50% of all of his dropbacks. He is a, normally a turnover machine. Uh, so I think not only do you see the Cowboys get the sacks, but I think you get to see them, uh, you know, pop the bubble and, and break the dam when it comes to them and turnovers this season. Uh, I think they they're going to be able to turn over the Giants offense. Uh, the defense has improved. They don't get a lot of sacks, but they do get a, uh, you know, a, a ton of pressures. Um, so we'll see how well the Cowboys' makeshift offensive line looks. Uh, rookie Tyler Smith has been impressive. He hasn't been great. But for somebody that hasn't played left tackle since uh, the spring, that's impressive uh, for a rookie uh, because he played all of, all, of, uh, all of training camp, all of preseason at left guard. Now we could potentially see a Jason Peters activation and Tyler Smith moving back into left guard. That'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, we could be seeing Jeron uh, Kirst coming back from his injury. Uh, that's probably a little bit further along, but we will definitely see Michael Gallup. And although I said Michael Gallup isn't going to be 2019 Michael Gallup, he's still better than Simi Fajoko. So that in itself will improve the that's wide receiver course for the Dallas Cowboys. Um, you know, so so there's a lot of reasons to believe that the Cowboys should go in and end the Giants' best start since 2016. Uh, you know, apologies to Dan Batten and the crew over there at Giant Flyer, but I would probably have to lean in the same direction as they are and that the Cowboys should win this game. Uh, but I'm over so far this season. I thought the Cowboys were going to beat Tampa <laughs> Bay and I thought they were going to get demolished by Cincinnati. So maybe I should just avoid predictions until this whole thing gets a little bit more uh, stable over the course of the next couple of weeks. But I, I think the Cowboys definitely have the talent uh the talent advantage, let's just see if that translates into a win on Monday night.
1: Not a chance we're doing a podcast without KD's betting units. And there's not a chance. You know, you're, you're going to have to pick these every week. So you got two units yeah, yeah, yeah. Two units on the spread. I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, yeah, I do. A, I do a, a Giants podcast for the NFL Wire sites at USA Today with Dan Benton. I could tell you those guys, as KD just said, um, are picking the Cowboys. So uh, Dan's very good at picking the Giants. He usually gets it right. He was like, no, the Cowboys. I got the Cowboys. I'm like, oh, really? And he wasn't feeling very good this morning. I think he's got strep throat or something. I'm like, Dan, go go rest. Oh, you're man. picking the Cowboys. Go rest. There's something wrong. Uh, if you're picking the Cowboys, there's something wrong. <laughs> yeah, maybe wrong. it's
0: the medicine. Yeah, yeah it it's might have been the medicine <laughs> talking.
1: He had some good stuff. Uh, I think one thing that is interesting about how this game could play out or how Vegas thinks this game could play out, KD, is the total being 38 and a half, which is tied for the lowest on the slate with the browns Steelers. So that's Mitchell yep. Trubisky versus Jacoby Brissett, people, <laughs> over there, Brown Steelers. So not a lot of points to be had here. I'm usually, I am usually don't touch a total that's in the 30s. I think it's just so low. But this, does, yeah. this one does have like 17-13 written all over it, doesn't it? It does feel like one of those kind of games.
0: It does unless there's – and the most unpredictable thing in sports is a defensive touchdown in the NFL. Um, but this game kind of feels like that could happen which will always throw an over-under off, you know, because that's, that's an immediate score. Um, special teams are the same way. Cavante Turpin had a great 20-yard return. He looked a lot less nervous than he did in the uh, opener against Tampa Bay. It pretty much felt like uh, the difference in the preseason, the preseason opener Turpin looked timid. He he looked like he didn't want to return anything out of the end zone uh, against Tampa Bay. He looked like he was surveying the field once he caught the ball in this game against Cincinnati. He looked like he caught the ball and went and he had a 20 yard return. I would not be surprised to see a defensive or a special team score out of the Cowboys in this game because the Giants don't have a good special teams either. So uh, I, I think that they have the advantage there. Uh, if they get that turnover, if they get the crease on a return, I could see them taking it to the house. And if that's the case, then I could see them getting above that uh, over under total. But yeah, uh, just based on strictly offenses, it's hard to see them. uh, You know, there's a reason why there's so many tall buildings in Vegas. They don't (laughs) normally get these things wrong. And the way that you feel is, you know, they kind of predict how people are going to feel based on how they set the line. So maybe they're, You know, most people see an over under under 40 and they're going to be like, oh, yeah, pound the over. But like I said, Vegas is rarely wrong. So I could easily see this being a 30, 35 point total game. I would stay away from the over under on this one.
1: Yeah, me too. Me too. It scares the crap out of me. And I'm not picking the over (laughs) because, again, it could easily this game could be 17, 18. But I will say this. We talked about it. The Giants can't score. They haven't been able to score for years. I know Brian Dayball's there. They're trying to they're trying to build something. They still can't score though. They're, they're still scoring 20, right. 19, 18 points. That's what the Giants do. If the Cowboys can get into the 20s, it's over. It's over. So, uh, and, and uh, I think the Cowboys have a better chance to get the 20 than the Giants. So, yeah, that spread, two and a half plus two and a half for the Cowboys, give me that thing. It's one of my favorite uh, lines on the entire board. So, there we go. I don't think we're going to get in too much trouble with those picks, KD, right? Um, that's I'm better. Not. That's better. And hey, if they win this ball game, you're two and one. Dak Prescott's that closer to being back. And we got a season again, and it's just amazing how things change in seven days, right? It's just that's just football yep. for you. That's the football. That's the roller coaster ride that is the season.
0: I told him not to jump off the ledge after one You did. Week, you were I so right. God, you nailed um, it last week. It's it, it, it's just it's just one of those things. Like I I I feel like I, I I'm I'm hedging my bets because <laughs> I did say hard. that they were going to get blown <laughs> out, but I was still like, don't give up on the season. They, yeah, they're going to lose by forty, you know. So I'm I'm kind of you know in in no man's land right now, but. You can never judge an NFL team based on how they look in week one. Uh, You get a couple games worth of information and you can start to kind of feel where it is. So now we have two games of information. This defense looked legitimate coming off of the turnover fest last year, you know, because there were some games that they weren't great on defense and they were creating turnovers and that's how they won those games defensively. But now we're seeing a total package of of the defense being strong. Uh, The interceptions are, are the turnovers are low. So you anticipate that's going to come at some point maybe not to the extreme of 34 turnovers on the season like they did last year, but if they can get, you know, one or two a game moving forward, then they should be in a pretty strong spot. Um, The offense is a work in progress, but they seem to be competent enough that when the defense gives them the opportunity, uh, they should be able to take advantage of it. So I'm getting a little bit more optimistic of where the Cowboys could go. I mean, let's be honest. This could still end up being a seven-win team. It could end up being a 10-win team. Even a 12-win team is not out of question, depending on how quickly that gets back. And, you know, the front office is still pitching this. He could be out back by Washington. Miss me with that. He's, he's still going to miss a couple games. But if he's back by Philly, you know, if he's back, you know, before the bye week uh, and the Cowboys have won one of these next couple games to, you know, just stay afloat, then, you know, all hell could break loose down the second half of the season.
1: Yeah, just let me say this before we sign off here. Did, did you, did you hedge your bets last week, KD? Yes. Did you come out smelling like roses, even though you predicted a bloodbath? Yes. You know what you call that? You're just the best in the business, my man. That's just how, that's just how a professional go. does it. That's just how a professional <laughs> does it. Very, very good stuff, as always, from KD. Check him out on Cowboys Wire. Best in the business, honestly. Check him out. And uh, check us out next week. We'll be back to break down this Cowboys Giants game. Looking forward to it. For KD, I'm Ryan O'Leary. We'll catch you next week.